Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm Nikki, your host, and it's my great pleasure and honor to introduce you to our phenomenal robotics and AI community in Australia. In the coming weeks, I will be acknowledging the premier principal and lead partners of the Women in AI 2023 Awards, which will be held on Friday, 16 June at the phenomenal Art Gallery of New South Wales. These valued Women in AI Awards partners have been invited to nominate an up-and-coming inspirational young woman within their organization, a rising star to tell their story. Capgemini, a lead partner, have nominated Dr. Wen John Chen, who has a PhD in ecosystem science and management, focused on multidisciplinary research in climate change, agricultural development, and rural income. Wen, welcome and thank you so very much for joining me today. Hi, Nikki. So nice to meet you today. I'm, I'm so honored to speak with you. I've read your resume, which is so impressive. Congratulations on everything you've achieved uh, in, in your quite, um, I want to say, short lifespan because you've just done so much. You, you grew up in North China. Uh, reading your bio, it sounds as though you just had such an idyllic childhood and that you come from a very close family. Take us through your early years and uh, before you moved to the United States. Sure, Nikki. You know that you asked a very dangerous question because it brought back a lot of good memories in my life. So I might not be able to stop, but stop me whenever you think it's necessary. So I was born in this small village in North China. It was a very tight knit community. We had about 700 people. So everybody knew everybody else. The village's name is Taiping means peace. And there was a river running through called Huanxiang, means homecoming. Now there, there is a historical tale uh, tied to the village name. So about 900 years ago, the Song Emperor Huizong was captured by the Jin Kingdom. While traveling as a prisoner, he came across the river and he found that unlike all the other rivers in China, which flew eastwards towards the sea, this river flew westwards. It's almost like it's going home. So he, of course, he was extremely sad and he was wondering if he could go home like this river. And that was uh, where the name was from. So growing up in such a small village and of course could not understand the nostalgia and the helplessness of this emperor, I was pretty much a happy child all the time. So either adults were mostly busy a lot of the times. Uh, I just run around with my village kids friends. So we climb the trees together, picking wildflowers from the field, catching grasshoppers, or we um, playing just with dirt and mud. You know, now that I watch Peppa Pig with my children, whenever I saw Peppa and George jumping in the muddy puddle, it's really resonated with me. Um, so back to my family, my mother worked in a local shop 
And my father used to work in another city in the trade industry before he moved back and work in transportation. So they were busy all the time. So I, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. We, we were very close. We literally lived in the same yard, uh, although different houses. Now, my grandfather was an artist. So he, he was so passionate, such a passionate person about life and, and the beautiful things in life. You know, spending time with him was, it weirdly like 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 I love spending time with him. It was a f- the most fun time in my childhood. So he loved poetry, and um, he loved calligraphy and painting. Uh, and he did not mind sharing all of these uh, his passions with me. So if it was spring, he would taught me. Uh, he would teach me a poem about the spring. And then he will paint something, wrote down the poem in the painting and asked me uh, to do the painting, do the calligraphy and, and recite the poem in a fun way. So, uh, and also he, he would do projects with me, like say, if it's the summer, he, we would make a fan, a paper fan we wrote some poems on that, or we, we do some paintings on that. Or in winter, uh, when the spring festival was closed, he would make beautiful lanterns with me. Yeah, so uh, that was my grandpa. Um, my grandmother made the most delicious food in the world. And I loved eating fish, but there were there, we, we didn't have a fridge in the village and there were only a market gathering every five days. So my grandma would go to the market every five days, bought fish uh, and cook them for me. So I was really spoiled by them. Um, but that didn't mean that I was distant from my parents. I, I still lived with them and they took care of me as best as they can. As a matter of fact, my mom used to go up at 5 a.m. to prepare my breakfast and, and, and school before she went to work. So uh, I think my parents demonstrated to me uh, how hard they worked. Um, they were really my role models uh, with this as, uh, aspect, but also Furthermore, they let me make my own decisions and respected my choices at a very young age. In that aspect, they were really just, they are, they still are the, the best parents I could ask for. Yeah, so, so that was pretty much about my childhood. I was a carefree and free and happy child throughout the time. And then I moved to Beijing for college uh, at the age of 18. So I studied management at first and then moved to journalism and communication. I had a few internships in different media industry, uh, then even worked in a short term uh, as a PR and communication for an IT company. But eventually I moved to rural development and it was that experience that had the most impact on me 
And during that experience, I traveled a lot in rural China, promoting uh, rural entrepreneurship, uh, sustainable development, and also power, uh, doing poverty reduction projects. It was at that time that I realized I, I wanted to dive more in this field. And then I moved to the US uh, for a PhD. When listening to your childhood, I think um, myself and the whole audience, we're all um, sitting here in envy of your um, obvious happiness, um, respect and love that you have for your grandparents and for your parents. I think it's absolutely fantastic um, that you're in a position to you know, have such wonderful memories. And I hope your parents will listen to this podcast and take all the accolades that you're sending their way. Um, absolutely fantastic. So you did your PhD at Texas A&M University. Tell us about the research and your achievements there. Sure, Nikki. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. My, my, my parents couldn't understand English, but um, I'm going to translate for them and let them know again how much I appreciate them. Um, yeah, so I studied uh in the Department of Ecosystem Science and Management at Texas A&M University. It was really a feast of knowledge, enjoyment, experience, and friendship. So in my PhD program, I did a transdisciplinary research on the rural livelihood and agricultural output in Inner Mongolia, China. So my studies drew from my previous background in sustainable development, but also incorporated ecological, environmental, socioeconomic, and climate factors. So I visited Inner Mongolia many times in my previous job. Um, during those visits, I noticed that a lot of the times the place was undergoing a drought due to climate change. And you were at a rangeland, you expect to see green, tall, lush grass, but a lot of times you only saw the yellow grass root. So, um, so there was a lot of problems caused by these issues. For example, desertification of the land. Um, so my research centered on uh, a very small area in Inner Mongolia is an arid and semi-arid area, mostly rangeland, but also uh, there was also some cropland. Um, so the farmer, I, I shouldn't say the residents there uh, include herders so who do free range in the rangeland, also farmers who do grain production and crop production. But also there was another group uh, which was ecological migrants. That, that's what we call it in China. Basically, they used to be herders, but their rangeland degraded so much that the government had to put into a conservation project and move them out of their uh, original, uh, original home. Yes, yeah, so uh, in my research, I was particularly interested in finding out two aspects of this issue. So the first one was the rural household income. I was interested in finding out uh, 
question, uh, answers to questions such as, what was the impact of land degradation on farmers, herders, and ecological migrants? Uh, did land degradation hurt the poor people more than the not that poor people? Mm -hmm. And also, are there any other factors that had impact on the uh, rural household income? And then my second uh, focus was agricultural output. To be specific, I examined the uh, livestock output and uh, green output. So I was interested in finding out answers to questions such as, what were, were the impacts, if there were any, of climate factors such as precipitation uh, and temperature on different agricultural output? Were there any other social, economic, or institutional factors that affect these output? So uh, to answer these questions, uh, with respect to rural income, I actually uh, took a summer break, formed a small survey team, and we went to Inner Mongolia and interviewed 189, I, I think that's the number, of households with the help of local government and, and, and educational institutes. And then to answer the second question, uh, I, I gathered a lot of uh, secondary data from different sources like um, uh, statistical yearbooks, agricultural output yearbooks, the IFAO uh, soil map, China GIS map, and other publications. So. At the end, there were quite some interesting findings, which I thought was useful for policymakers. For example, I found that in, uh, in my research area, um, the poorest household was hurt the most with respect to uh, income. But the conservation projects also benefit them to the most extent. Um, and also I found that high value agriculture um, market access and the diversification of livelihood all helped with increasing income. So on the other hand, uh, uh, with respect to agriculture output, precipitation and temperature did play a role, but it's, it's the precipitation and temperature in certain months or certain seasons that played a role. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the number of college graduates and the number of um, uh, technical service people available in the area, but even the density of highways all played an important role. Yeah, so, so that's pretty much about my dissertation. It sounds absolutely fascinating, and I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you. If you took those questions and went to another country, say to South Africa, and you and you went and did a similar study there, do you think there would be resonation there? But in in your findings, I would say, I think with respect to the uh, the rural income, they probably resonate to to a huge extent, but uh, I mean, with respect to land degradation and conservation projects, but we also have to take into consideration the local policy, the, the institutional factors, and 
probably local culture, uh, but I, I think the same research methodology could be used in yeah. another country or another setting. It's, it's very interesting work. And um, when is this uh, publication, is your PhD available for the public to read or how does it work? Um, so I didn't really publish it. Um, yeah. I actually burned out at the end, but it's available yeah. at the Texas A&M A&M University Library. Uh, I think if you do an electronic in indexing, you could find it. So well, my whole dissertation, or I could send you a personal copy. That's it. So if anyone's interested in this research, please do reach out to Wen. And if you haven't already connected to her on LinkedIn, this is your invitation to do so now. Tell us about the Big Idea DOI project uh, between USA and Nepal, where you were the team team lead and coordinator, and this was about in 2013-2014. You formed yeah. and led an international team for an award-winning child nutrition project. So this sounds equally just very, very interesting work. Yeah, well, that was a, um, another fond memory of, of yeah. me in the U.S., so it, it all started with the Burlog Summer Institute on Global Food Security in Purdue. So it, it's a project that each summer, 30 students uh, across the US university would gather together, spend the summer studying um, food security from the most prominent experts in the world. For example, we worked learned directly from Dr. Sabisa Ijeta. So he was the 2009 World Food Prize Laureate. So um, yeah, so, so that was a blast of knowledge again and, and friendship. So at the end of the Summer Institute, we had a competition. So the 30 students formed five, five teams, uh, I, I think, and then, each team would propose and present an idea, uh, a project addressing global food security issue. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that I was in the team. Uh, we proposed the project addressing the food security, but also other development issues in West Nepal among the, well, the local called Dalit group, which, means that people in a very low social ladder um, due to, due to the, the social um, system. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so my team won the first place. It, it was a blast and uh, but my teammates were just absolutely amazing. They, they, they were from uh, different universities like um, Johns Hopkins, uh, uh, Kansas State, Oklahoma State and uh, where else uh, and Purdue uh, and, and some other universities. Uh, so I kept in touch with them. So when I saw that uh, there was this uh, email from UC Berkeley inviting application for the big idea competition and there was a category in development. So I thought, why don't we push our project to another level? So uh, I got in touch with, uh, with all the um, teammates and say, hey, do you guys wanna join this with me? Um, I would organize, um, uh, but you guys have to commit. <laughs> they, they were so 
passionate about that. So, so we formed a team and one of the team members introduced to us uh, a guy from uh, an NGO in Nepal, actually in West Nepal. So he had all the local knowledge. Uh, we have, you know, some, some knowledge. We, we have all the passion. And then UC Berkeley also gave us a lot of uh, support. So Mr. George Schaffenberger, uh, he, he worked for U UC Berkeley and he was appointed as our mentor. So, so we worked together in developing this project on child nutrition. Now, there were already a lot of NGOs in Nepal uh, addressing that issue. For example, some gave out supplement, some um, promotes scientific diet and all of those. So, but what is so special about our project was our project uh, was based on a local culture, rooted in local culture. It was cheap, it was practical, and it was easy to achieve. So, so, so dahi actually means yogurt in, in Napoli. Now, in a lot of households, they had a milk cow and they made yogurt overnight, but they seldom failed to feed that to young children because might because it's just uh, doesn't taste that good because of sour home, homemade yogurt or they just didn't have that practice. But we know, we all know all the benefit of fermented food uh, and, and, and yogurt on, um, on health, but, uh, but they were not using it on, on children. And a lot of children had problems uh, like um, they, they, they are malnutritioned or that they had problem, do you call that shortening? Like they, the, their weight was like too, um, too, too low and they were too short for, for their age. Anyway, so yeah, so we got uh, team members working in uh, different areas with different expertise. We put together the proposal and then we were invited to pitch the ideas. Uh, actually, UC, uh, Texas A&M University funded me to uh, fly there. And we lived at George's house, me and another girl from Purdue, uh, who was Stacy. And then we pitched the idea in the competition. And the next thing we knew, we won two prizes and, and with some money. So um, we said, Okay, now let's just really use this money in this project. So I, I uh, we, uh, so our teammates in uh, Nepal actually started making um, workshops on talking about the benefit of yogurt and on how to make yogurt safely and even how to make it more tasty for children. And we sponsored one teammate who 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 did uh, res her research in child nutrition. We, we founded her to uh, fly to Nepal to do her field research. And uh, we wrote periodic reports and sent them back to UC Berkeley. Although they said, oh, you don't have to do this. But we, we were really quite passionate about that. Um, I was, I mean, I was not uh, uh, a, experienced international project uh, coordinator, but uh, I, I did my best. And uh, among my team 
Mess. There, there was this uh, amazing uh, student from Purdue. He was already an experienced project manager. So we pretty much pull everybody's strengths together. See that really a diverse background and, uh, and diverse knowledge. Yeah, that was one of the best experience I, experiences I had in the US. Listen, congratulations, twofold. You know, first up for having the courage um, to pull together a team of people that you went, listen, let's, let's take a punt on this. Like I'll organize everything, but you have to come on the journey with me. And clearly they love you because, you know, they went on the journey with you and the enthusiasm that you talk about this project. I love it that you kept on sending um, updated reports of what was going on in the university saying we don't need this. And you go, yes, actually you do, because people would be interested in this. Like what happened? You know, is it still embedded in the culture now? Um, you know, do kids eat yogurt? What was the fallout? And nutritionally wise for children, like this is huge implications. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Um, uh, actually, at the end, we donated the leftover money to the uh, Napoli's earthquake uh, release. Uh, if you remember in, I think it's 2015, there was a, a huge earthquake in Nepal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I would oh, think that those, the yeah. Nepalese community, if your name is mentioned there, um, there's lots of love and affection for you. Now it doesn't really matter. I, I mean, I was really just facilitating all of this. It's, it's the knowledge, uh, yeah. diverse knowledge from my team that made this happen. Yeah. Well, congratulations and congratulations to your team that went on the journey, Wayne. Thank um, you. Yeah. Like you just sound as though in, in everything you've done in your life, you just, um, you're bringing such a flair of enthusiasm and love to everything that you're doing. So I really um, admire that for you. In 2014 and 2017, these were very busy years for you. Um, you moved to Denver. You started Chen and Associates. Uh, you were junk professor Donna, data analytics at the University of Denver, as well as a resident data scientist at uh, Firesight Advisors. Gosh, like what were some highlights of this time for you? Um. Okay, first of all, Nikki, the, these are all part-time jobs. So I yeah. have to clarify oh, that. Right. Well, that sounds amazing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I, I graduated in 2014 and uh, um, I had to face the reality that, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a foreigner. Uh, I probably had to take whatever job I got if I wanted to stay in the US. And I wanted to because, so during my PhD, I actually met my husband and I got married and he worked in the US and, and he's, he's an Indian as a matter of fact. So yeah. it was impossible for him to move to China with me. So I thought, okay, instead of finding a fixed job, why don't I just explore a little bit more? So in the US, there was a great system called the OPT. It's optical practical training. So after you got a degree in the US, you could have this period to do uh, pretty much 
you know, whatever you want, uh, either a fixed job or you could start your uh, own company and explore what you like. And that's what I did. So that's Chen and Associate. So it, it was really just Chen, you know, the Associate will be my advisors um, from my university. Uh, so I have this great professor and mentor, Dr. Russell Cross. He's a big figure in the US livestock industry. He's been my mentor ever since 2007 throughout, throughout my later life, even, even now. So he suggested me uh, to do that. And he gave me a lot of support, introducing me to different business opportunities. Uh, yeah, that was actually a highlight. Uh, one of the highlights was I worked with the US meat export industry to facilitate their um, livestock negotiation with the Chinese government. So the US meat export industry always wanted to export beef and pork to China. Um, they, they had some pork uh, export, but it was suspended uh, at that time. And uh, same with beef. Be there was merely uh, any beef export. But anyway, so I facilitated uh, two government visiting trips, took them around the U.S., seeing um, different fit laws, uh, manufacturing uh, factories, and and also talking with the local government. It was it, it was those were great tours in the. Uh, in the aspect that, you know, um, of course, I contribute, to, uh, contributed to the communication. That's what I always wanted to do uh, between China and the U.S. But also, I learned so much about the U.S. Uh, livestock industry. And, mm -hmm. and the, the highlight of the highlight was I, I was able to work with Mr. Phil Singh. So he was at the time the president of U.S. meat export industry. He was very, he was a very important figure in the industry because he actually helped U.S. Uh, opened the Japanese market in beef on beef, and he did a lot of work promoting the culture exchange between the U.S. and Japan. So he was actually. Uh, in 2020, he was awarded the highest civil order by the Japanese government. I think it's called the uh, is called the rising. Um, it's called the rising, the order of the rising sun. Anyway, so so working with great people like these, I actually learned so much it's like beyond beyond words you know you see how they worked and how modest they were and how passionate they were about the cause they're pursuing and age didn't matter so so that was one of the highlights and also um working at university of denver um I, I had to mention uh, Philip Beaver. So Phil Beaver was then teaching uh, in the same department. He taught me, literally taught me how to teach. And he taught me a lot other knowledge in data science. At that time, I 
I just went to his class. I went to other uh, faculties class, just learn data science um, besides teaching some undergraduates. So, uh, and also uh, the five-side advisors, um, I had to mention Paul and Lee. So they they were the co the owners uh, of that uh, marketing company. It's a small company, but you know they really just offered me my first job, like without questioning anything. They were we met at the Tableau conference. So after conference, we had a talk, um, happy chat. Then a few days later, they just came to me and said, hey, would you like to come and be our resident data scientist? I was like, sure, I have this, this, and that qualities. <laughs> they were like, you don't have to tell us. So we, we trust you. So we just started the journey. Uh, we do predictions. We do customer segmentations and, and product segmentations. We, we even built Tableau dashboards for customers. It was just a blast. I, you know, if I look back, I, I, I feel that I was so lucky with all of these people and all of this experience. I, I, and I also appreciate that, you know, I could explore these different fields during my time in the U.S. while have giving birth to a child. <laughs> I, I, uh, my son was born in 2016. Yeah. Congratulations. And, <laughs> you know, you. I'm listening, I'm listening to you talking. And, you know, when you started, you said, look, these are all just part-time jobs. But, you know, what I take from your story here, when is that you, um, you had the courage to do all of these things. And, you know, you started Chen and Associates in America. I mean, like, really, that's quite ballsy, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, again, it takes a sort of it takes courage and commitment to rock up and put yourself out there to say to people, here I am. Um, and I love your acknowledgement of all your mentors along the way. And we're going to tag all of them in this uh, in this podcast so that they all know you're acknowledging them because, you know, mentors are so important on our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Please do, please do. I yeah. love them. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear that. So, so you gave birth to your son in 2016. In 2017, you moved to Sydney. So um, dusted off America, you joined the RXP services as a senior consultant, um, again, doing amazing work, uh, quite a different environment coming from the USA. Like, how did you adapt? I mean, you know, from China to the USA, they, I'm sure they would have been, you know, you would have had things to cope with. And then again, from the USA to Australia. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure, Nikki. Um, you know, I... I love experiencing different world, um, not different world, different countries. Here, I, I'm gonna read a quote from one of my favorite authors. His name is Wang Xiaobo. So he said, uh, let me actually find it. Okay, he said, I came to this world not to propagate my offsprings, Okay, I, I, I propagated my experience too, but, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter. I agree with the rest. I'd, but to see how flowers bloom, how water flows, how the sun rises, and when the sunset falls, I live in this world to understand some truth and to experience interesting things. Life is an accident, but I'm 
here searching for cause and effect. So that's beautiful. So that's, yes, it is so beautiful. I I I, I love this author. Um, so. Yeah, so that's pretty much my attitude in switching countries. But one of the most important reasons we moved to Australia was that we need a life and work balance. And Australia is so friendly. And yeah. So I still remember the second day we flew in, we went to the city to uh, to, to update our driver's licenses from, from the US licenses to Australian licenses. And after that, we took a walk um, at the Martin place. Mm-hmm. It was a September day. It was sunny, a lot of colorful flags. I think that people were celebrating the pride yeah. uh, and, and then flowers all over, people dressing sharp, but they have yeah. sm- they had smiles on their face. Yeah, I was like, one of the challenges was I couldn't understand Australian English that well. Uh, uh, there were yeah. also some European uh, accents that I couldn't understand well. I remember once I was talking to my development manager at RxV over <laughs> a sink. He was washing something and, and told me something. He talked for about 30 seconds and I said, uh, Graham, I'm extremely sorry, <laughs> but I didn't understand a single word. <laughs> it was so awkward, but... He was so nice. Um, yeah. He said again, and, and I eventually understood, um, you know, mentors like Graham, uh, I met quite a few and they were so nice to me. And, and I'm still in touch with them nowadays, even though we work uh, for different companies. Yeah. And so that was my first challenge. It took me a while to get used to it. And my second challenge would be is, uh, far from home and family and friends while raising a kid without a lot of help. Um, But, you know, um, I have to say, I have the most amazing husband in the world. He does, basically he does everything I do, except giving birth to our children. (laughs) So wonderful. It Mm. it was truly wonderful. Um, He's open-minded he's humble he he loved us and he, he took a lot of the workload basically we do a really good um rotation and share making sure that we give each other some time to just be with ourselves for example um maybe on wednesday evening i could go out on thursday evening he could go out and over the weekend we could have family fun with the kids yeah, so, so that was a second challenge. It was not too bad. And the third one was I, I totally didn't work in the field of sustainability and climate change, which was my passion. And uh, um, so I was put into a bank uh, as my first gig. And some of the projects were not even like strictly not data science it was like 
um, ETL, data engineering, and reporting. Um, but I, I mean, it was not too bad because the data, well, I, I'm from a ecosystem background, so I talk about the data ecosystem. So the data engineering and reporting um, important part of the data ecosystem. So I actually learned so much in these fields. And also I enjoyed connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. So we used to do a reporting projects where my colleague did a uh, ETL and a reporting pipeline that took 10 hours to run each time. Yeah. So I, I thought, okay, what, what could we do to make it work faster? So um, we did a lot of things, but one of the key things was uh, I introduced <laughs> stratified sampling in statistics in the reporting process that reduced the amount of data from say a million row or a few million rows to a few thousand rows, but mm -hmm. equally serve the same purpose. So we we dropped the uh, the time needed from ten hours to one hour. I so you know at that moment I felt like, oh my god, this is so good. I'm connecting the doors. I'm using statistics. <laughs> I'm creating values. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, we, we all need some, some, this type of satisfaction in life, right? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And congratulations. Um, you know, I'm sitting here listening to your journey um, and to my audience. If you, if you haven't uh, sussed Wen's enthusiasm for the work she does and whatever <laughs> she does in the world, like, then you have to listen a little bit closer because it is just so infectious. Moving forward, you joined Capgemini in 2021 as a data scientist, data science people leader, where you've got kicked some serious goals in the short time, winning two awards. 2022 Capgemini Insights and Data Global Business Line Best Talent Manager Award and 2022 Capgemini Insights and Data APAC Region Best Diversity Impact Award. What does this recognition mean to you, Wayne? Well, Nikki. You know, these recognitions came, both came as surprises. I was like, I was just enjoying the life in Capgemini, enjoying interacting with my colleagues and doing some initiatives. And then boom, I got these awards. Um, I mean, I'm tremendously grateful for that. And I think it's very important for me because of course, first of all, it, they allow me to shine to and um, they allow me to be exposed to more people and, and and get more progress in the future and but they also grant me the power to help more people i know that um some some people especially girls reach out to me after these things and say oh you're so inspiring i feel very humbled but um at the same time, I think, great, you know, if I could, you know, set a small example, say, first of all, we're women, we're minorities, but we can do it. Nothing can stop us. Two, if we work hard, we got recognized. I think that's very healthy um, to promote such a culture or such perspective in, at the workplace or to the general public.
I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, um, I think any recognition of anyone doing anything and telling their story, um, because it, it makes it achievable for other people to go, well, if you've done all of this, and maybe not the same things that I'm doing, but like, if you've done this, then I can also try, you know, it's the motivation yeah. for everyone to go, come on, like, I can lift my game as well. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. You have experience across like diverse cultures and countries. Um, this, this must give you a unique experience in how you will you view the world. Why is diversity so important today and especially in the fields of AI? Um, absolutely, Nikki. Uh, I think diversity is very important, not only in AI, but also for this whole world. It's, it's quite my, my experience is quite unique that, you know, I'm from China. I have an Indian husband. Uh, so my son was born in the US and my daughter was born in Australia. So we have really different background, but it's funny. It's not funny. I mean, it's interesting to see how different we are in some aspect, but deeply inside how how the same we are so mm -hmm. i i love diversity because it shows me how colorful this world is but also i think it's a source of creativity and innovation um, just looking back to my experience it's all happened in a diverse background especially if you look at the big idea dahi project we got people from nepal from different universities in the us from different disciplines and that is what made our project successful so in the field of ai it's especially important because um, first of all a lot of people know about this, that the bias in AI, okay, it could come from many, many sources like biased data or a poorly trained model, but it could also be from uh, a very single, like um, a very, uh, like homogeneous uh, set of trainers. Like it's, if it were all say a single gender, uh, a single race from a single cultural background training the, uh, the AI product, how would you expect this product could serve the world where a diverse of gender, race, culture, religion uh, of people live. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, so that's, uh, so that's, yeah, introducing more uh, gender, religion, or cultural background, or, or, or even um, people from different disciplines in this world would absolutely help to reduce the bias in our AI algorithms. But secondly, um, innovation. Again, innovation, I truly believe, comes from um, a diverse input from people. Um, so it, I, I used to say that diversity is a magic. You put different ingredients and it gener what it generates is way more than what you input there. And, and also, you know, it could be a challenge to 
manage a diverse team. I, I acknowledge that, but that's how the world is. Like, for example, in Australia, we are in a more and more diverse community and we got learn how to manage a, a diverse team and uh, even a global team and how to build our AI product to serve the diverse global community. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, as you pointed out, like it takes all sorts to make up this world and you need to cater for all the sorts that, you know, the licorice, um, packet of licorice, like the, what's it, licorice, all sorts. We all come in different shapes, sizes and colors and um, this is the human race that needs to be served. The Women in AI Awards now is in its third year. Um, any advice for women thinking of applying and why do you think this is so important, this acknowledgement? Mm, I think what I want to share is if anyone see this award and think of, thinking of apply for it, please don't hesitate. Just go there and share your story, showcase your capability, um, let your achievements shine. So if don't be afraid of people saying that you're promoting yourself because as a gender, we are really not promoting ourselves enough. We should do way more than this. So, and also um, it's a great opportunity to introduce yourself to the AI community, to the wonderful women and men and other gender in this field. So um, again, diversity is a power. Once you join this uh, community, you get more support and help from this community. That is tremendously helpful for your development. So I say, girls, go. <laughs> Listen, that's fabulous advice. I really, um, ladies, if you need any encouragement or any, if you were sitting on the line wondering whether this is something you should do, it's, it's most definitely. And, you know, um, when I spoke to, I spoke to many category winners of last year and they all said what a valuable experience it was um, to actually, even just the application process, because it's, it's quite a robust and it really takes you through what you've done, um, your achievements, maybe areas where you go, look, maybe I need a bit of development there or wow, I'm kicking all the goals that I need to in a specific field and actually I'm doing really, really well. So um, definitely, um, when I'm hoping to see your application in there as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. Uh, I'll work even harder. <laughs> yeah, you go there. So, when it's been an absolute honor and pleasure speaking with you today. Um, um, if anyone wants to reach you, uh, where's the best place for them to contact you? Oh, well, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. And uh, also, you can reach out to me uh, through my company email, which is wenjuan.chen at capgemini.com. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, to our audience, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. I look forward to your company again next week. And in the meantime, take care. Thank you so much, Wen. Thank you so much, Nikki, and thank you, everyone, for listening to my stories. It's been very, very inspiring. Mm -hmm.